So my my five year old was looking for the music that plays in his bus over this mm-hmm. was over the summer, and he's like trying to like describe to us like the sound. He's like humming it to us, and we're like, I have no yeah. idea what you're talking about. And it was Phantom, because I guess because the show was back on Z100, they would play like, you know the the, the commercials, the, yeah, and the commercial stuff. Frame. yeah. And he that like he took a liking to that music. What are they, huh. like? Isn't that so funny? I, I so he heard it in my my wife's car, and, and he was like, "That's the music." And I was like, "This, this is what we've been trying to figure out this whole time." Yeah, because I wouldn't even know how you would like describe like the Phantom music, like if you're because if you're a kid, because I remember hearing it in my aunt and uncle's car, and all I remember was that, dun, 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 which that could sound like. We don't waste any time. Scott, oh, what's up? Right. Long time no hey, see. Good to see you. I remember you in our office yeah. reading like a psychopath every single issue. Yeah, I think I was like finish? halfway through. Did you through ever finish? It. I finished, yeah. So I can date probably, I think I was probably halfway through. So it was probably like 2015 or 2016. It was 20, yeah, probably 2015. Yeah. All right. Wait, so yeah, what did yeah, you, I did what did you, did you ever do anything with that? So not like anything huge, but if you go to the timeproject.org right now, you can look at like all of my notes from every month that I read. And it, you can go back and, well, actually the notes only go back like, the 1930s. Let's back up. So Carlton, yes. for, for so you're late to this conversation. So Scott, why don't you introduce what you did? She's like, I'm late to this conversation. I've been sitting here the <laughs> yeah. whole time. No, Scott basically climbed Mount Everest uh, on Time Magazine. That's what you did. Financial Time Everest. Yeah. Or Mount Everest. Yeah, wow. I would say that. He read what, every single issue of Time wait, Magazine. What do you mean financial time? You no, I'm saying like that's a climbing, ma- that's the equivalent of climbing. But time out. But you read cover to cover. You didn't cherry pick? Read cover to cover. Okay, so wait. You read every issue of Time Magazine back to when? 1923 when it was Is founded. that a weekly or a monthly? It's a weekly. Are oh you my insane? Gosh. Yeah. That's actually kind of insane. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, cover to cover. Are you the smartest man alive now? <laughs> <laughs> I like to think I'm a 200-year-old man. What was so, it like reading through World War II? It wait, was insane. Fix his uh, mic. Put it in front of Put it in front of yeah. I won't touch no, it. No, 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 bring it, bring it, bring it closer. I mean, there were actually times that, I mean, it took four years to read the whole thing. So like I started in 2013 and ended in 2017. But why? And, well, I wanted to track stop, financial stop, stop, stop. How many issues a day? I'm trying to figure out the pace. I would basically yeah. read a month a day. So four, four okay. issues. Four issues a day. And then took four years to do it. I did not have kids at the time. So I had the time. Yeah, you ain't to doing it. Yeah, yeah, but how many, it would take me... I don't know, six hours to read one. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I did read it cover to cover. In the, I read it kind of in the same way that you would read any finance, like news publication right. today, where, like, you follow the stories that you think are important stories to follow, and then you, like, edit out the stuff that you don't. So, like, I would just track along basically the same way that you, you read the news today. It was just on, like, 4X pace. It's kind of like looking, listening to a podcast at mm-hmm. 4X speed or even Did you ever get that, sick right? of it and be like, I'm not finishing this? Or... Uh, Almost never. It was that compelling of a story. It's like reading a novel that is just the history, the history. of you read the, 20th the story century. of the world, the story of the 20th century in America, which was like the dominant empire Were of the like, 20th century. I know what happens next. <laughs> yeah, no, that yeah. was the crazy thing, yeah. right? You know what happens, but you don't know how it happens. And so there actually is suspense and surprise that you can have in reading along. What with was the it, craziest like, decade? I would, I would guess uh, definitely. The wait, 40s let me answer. Let me answer, for, let me answer for you. I would guess. The stuff in the 80s with Reagan and Gorbachev and Ru- and Russia falling by 1990, like to me, that seems like the biggest thing that happened in my lifetime and your lifetime. 
But was that not the most interesting thing? What about the Cuban Missile Crisis? Big. Sorry, I just cut you right Cuban off. Missile Crisis actually is super relevant for today because it happened in 63? Uh, 62, Two? which was the year that the, the Dow was down a lot in the beginning of the year, kind of bounced around and then bottomed with the Cuban, Cuban Missile Crisis in like October, November, whenever that is was. That, we never but talk about the Cuban I read, Missile Crisis. I read 11 Minutes to Midnight. Or something like that? The Cuban Missile Crisis was was like one of the few times that the Dow bottomed without a Fed action. The Fed did start to loosen like around there in October 1962. But like the Cuban Missile Crisis really— I always say they were way too hawkish. (laughs) They were way too hawkish in the Cuban Missile Crisis. I've always said that. that. Well, they were hawkish going into it. And it actually—the March 62 sell-off was because Kennedy went to war with the steel industry. Mm -hmm. Like he started to flex his muscle on that as president, which historically presidents would do against industry. Um— but yeah, I mean, the Dow kind of bounced along and then bottomed with the missile crisis because the Cuban Missile Crisis actually is what I think is the end of the Cold War. Like you had a lot of uh, tension with Russia of like being kind of an equal power throughout the 50s. And then the Cuban Missile Crisis basically demonstrated that Russia was not an equal power with us. And you have a real die down in the Cold War throughout the 60s and 70s. And then Reagan kind of like picks it back up and ends up being the death knell for the Soviet uh, Union. No well, offense. you had like the proxies in the 70s, though. I yeah. mean, like the proxies in like Latin America and parts of Africa. I mean, it wasn't quite the hot Cold War that we saw in the 50s, 60s. But I yeah. mean, there was the world was going- still up for grabs. Like, yeah. I, I read this book about Bob Marley and. In the 70s, the CIA was facing off against Castro in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Like, Jamaica was the battleground, whether it was going to go communist or not. Like, we were still doing shit like that. I'm sorry, but the the, uh, Cold War ended in 1985 with Rocky IV. That's right. I feel like that's that's in the record books. That's a really good that's point. It. That's in the that record right. books. Yeah. If I can change, exactly. and you can change. Did you, notice, did you notice a difference in how time was covering celebrity culture from, like, the 60s, 70s, where it was a curiosity into the 80s and 90s where it basically became the culture? Yeah, I mean, I think celebrity culture is like a subset of just media culture in general. And I think that was a super interesting story of the 20th century where media changes along with technological modality of media, communications modality. And so, like, you saw basically the radio era if you start in the 20s and 30s, and then you see that move to the television era, which, like, the presidential cycle, the, the political cycle is really what shows how much the communication cycle moves. So like the right. 1960 presidential election, which we all think is super important as the televised Nixon, debate, Nixon, Kennedy, Kennedy yeah, that yeah. Nixon lost on television, but won on radio. And like there are, uh, there's a cover story in time that year about the television camera uh, at the convention, the Republican convention, I think. And like how this will be the first year of like the televised convention basically. Um, and so that was super important then. And then, like, you basically just have television as the big monolithic communications channel until 1990 when you have the 24-hour news cycle yeah. become the, 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 I goal, feel like the Gulf War, CNN. Exactly. I feel right. like you should, so, be, you should be famous. Like, why, are, why aren't you doing, so like, a, what do you think we're doing Why aren't you doing a, a world tour? We're gonna, that's what we're going to make Carlton By the way, this, this episode is, like, our <laughs> departed. <laughs> where the credits start like 14 minutes into the show. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They did that. Right? Yeah, they gave you like a big chunk of the, they dropped the They dropped the music of The Departed uh, like legit 20 minutes into the movie. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're doing here. Because they had to do the whole establishment of them growing up and then going to police academy. Oh, what a, what a movie. They had, oh. Are we just watching that let's today? Just, let's, just, <laughs> yeah. let's just throw it on and skip the pod or maybe uh, oh, wait. do the audio do, commentary. Guys, this is a special episode it for is? multiple oh. reasons, but hold on. What was that? Oh, 69. Nice. All right. Episode. Nice. <laughs>
69. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Masterworks. Masterworks. Most people, myself included, do not have the wherewithal, the financial means to buy a Pablo Picasso painting, right? I don't have $6 million just lying around for a Picasso painting. Barry could probably buy one. But I do have money to invest in, in a fractional piece of Picasso. So that's what Masterworks does. You could invest in shares of a piece of art just like you would in uh, the stock market. If you are interested in learning more, please see masterworks.com slash animal. And of course, nothing in this podcast should be construed as a solicitation of an offer to buy or hold an interest in any investment product. To learn more about the risks of investing in Masterworks, see masterworks.com slash disclaimer. Let's go. Compounded Friends, episode 69. We have fan favorite Carlton English returning and a new friend to the show, but someone Michael and I have known for a long time and have been in awe of his reading prowess. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Scott Krisloff. Scott, we've, we've mentioned your journey over the years. Like it's come up multiple times. Really? Tell, like we're just, we were so fascinated I'm, that we never forgot about that project. I, I mean, I'm glad you're getting the, the end of it, the actual end of it. Uh, so I ended up reading everything uh, up to the year 2000. The year 2000, I finished basically when my first child was born. And then I was like, First of all, I've kind of like read enough at this point. <laughs> and now, and and now, now you just like, watch uh, Paw Patrol. Yeah. And now I just watch Paw Patrol. Exactly. Right. I don't okay. read anything. Um, but yeah, I finished the journey then. And like beautiful closed book of Time Magazine was like the, the the person of the century issue, which Albert Einstein was named person of the century. And so like it's just it was like a beautiful closure. The 20th century ended on like a great, great note for America. I think actually like the quote in Time Magazine was like, America bestrides the world like a colossus at this point because there was the fall of the Soviet Union and because there was like all of this economic prosperity in the U.S. in the 90s. Um, and so it felt like a right time to put it down. But the epilogue to the story is that Time Magazine came for sale in 2018. Meredith, which owned Time, was trying to sell the magazine. And so in 2018, I made a run at actually trying to buy Time Magazine, the, the magazine. Are you serious? Yeah, and I, like, had assembled a team of people who were, like, ready to buy it, and we were raising capital. Elon then, Musk. Who else? <laughs> well, Benioff ended up buying it in the end. Mark Benioff, yeah, the I didn't Salesforce realize that. founder, oh, I ended up buying it. Mark Benioff it. owns Time? He owns yeah. Time Magazine now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What's he doing with it? Is it much the same? Uh, I mean, I think he's like— Is he man of the year every year? Yeah, every year. <laughs> That's what every I would year. do. Every year, yeah. Okay. Well, no, person I think, of the year, my I, bad. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's done a lot with it. I think, like, Mark is obviously a tech visionary, so I think he's, like, elevating the brand in new channels of media. Has basically. he ever reached out—like, is he aware of you? I think he's aware of me. Yeah, we've we've exchanged some emails on this. I actually, today, uh, Time Magazine, its 100th anniversary is next year. So today, I took the opportunity of being in New York to meet with uh, one of the editors there, and, and hopefully we'll be working on a project you together. Should, they, so should, cool. they should be like, you should be like the- um, Ambassador. Like the in-house historian of time. The, you're the only yeah. person in the world that's done this. Like, I, I think fact. It's probably true. Yeah. It has I to mean, be like, true. Well, on a parallel track, I actually read every single issue in a row- 
of the X Men, <laughs> like starting in the late eighties, well into the early nineties. Yeah. So I don't know if that's equivalent, but I, I think I had a five year run. I never missed an issue. It sounds equally like including like X Factor, X Force, the New Mutants. Like I really I got a lot of. So now you read earnings transcripts. So. And yeah, I mean, well, you guys have known me forever as reading earnings transcripts. Well, wait, wait, let's let's back up. I actually have yeah. an intro written for you guys. Okay. And uh-huh. uh, and uh, this is like um, the most formal part of the show. Carlton English <laughs> is a reporter at Barron's covering financial markets and asset managers. Prior to Barron's, Carlton covered hedge funds at the New York Post and financials and energy at thestreet.com. Welcome to the show. Welcome Thank back you. to the show. Thank you. Um, and I see you on TV all the time. And I see you on, you're on Fox Business. Mm-hmm. And when is your show airing? It's Friday nights? Uh, no, it's on Saturday mornings at okay. 10 and 11.30 You tape it on Friday night. Correct. Got it. Okay. I got the big hair, the big eyelashes. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And Jack Otter is still on the show. Is, and who else is on it? Um, ben Levison, our uh, managing editor. And then Jack Howe, who is our Streetwise columnist. All, all great. Amazing, all, great. all amazing, right? I read everything that all of you guys do. Thank you. Um, you guys having fun with the show? Oh, it's super fun. And I'm just thrilled that we're back in the studio. Yes. We did the whole tape from home thing for about two years where yeah. we've it's all tough. had to do the whole Zoom thing where you're just like, I'm looking at a box right. and pretending it's a person. And no, you guys have a great vibe. It's a, it's a, it's a good show. And uh, I'm glad that we're all back to doing stuff live, in, including this. And you're a Phillies fan? I, you representing? I, I am. I am okay. representing today. Um as a true Philadelphia sports yeah. team fan, I am just nervous. I can't enjoy. You're any not of a this. bandwagon. You're a real fan. Like, I, okay. I mean, I've seen you go to games. Yes, for I go years. to games. Like, do not quiz me on anything because I'm not that deep into it. But I mean, I'm a Philly. Girl. What's Bryce Harper batting? Exactly. Okay, don't like, worry about it. But it's just Duncan knows. I'm so nervous. Like with tonight too. Like <laughs> no idea. you've got the Eagles like undefeated. Like it's it's exciting. Oh, the Eagles just, are on Amazon Prime tonight. Who are they playing? You don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Who, who's Philly playing? Uh, no one good, I don't think. Let's see. They're going to, I mean, they seem unstoppable. Oh, the, te- oh, the Texans. They're going to win by 50 points. Uh, James Harden's out for a month. But in other I, news. I can't enjoy any of this because I am just so nervous about it because that's the thing about being a Philly sports fan. You're just always like, we've always had these great teams, but there's something sometimes goes wrong. So you just kind of. I don't know. I feel I feel like you're you're tough to, fo- in football. I don't really follow baseball, but I feel like in football, you're probably a shoe in for a Super Bowl appearance. No, there's no such, no such thing. I know there's no such thing, but I, I'd, I'd bet it. Would you bet it this year? Would you bet against? I mean, they it? are they're the favorite, obviously. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, uh, I think you're gonna be fine. Scott Krisiloff <laughs> is the chief business officer at Help Me Helion. Helion Energy. Helion Energy. Um, you guys are building the world's first fusion generators in between reading magazines. It's a lot of multitasking, but you're also the editor of the transcript, which I read. How often are you publishing that? Weekly. Yeah. Weekly. Do you pick it up more during earnings season or not really? Uh, I mean, we're a little more active on social media during earnings season, but Dude, we still the, keep it weekly. The favorite. transcript is one of the most helpful things that hits my inbox on a weekly basis. You guys do an incredible job. Um, it's a weekly newsletter. Basically, what you're doing is you're pulling out the most important quotes, not just earnings calls. You're doing Fed. You're, what else are you doing? Yeah, I mean, it's like CEO any, interviews. Yeah, basically anybody who's, uh, you know, uh, an important figure in the economy, which would be business leaders, politicians, will pick out salient quotes about capital markets it's or sick. for capital markets. It's basically. so It's so well done. Thank you. And I didn't know that you were associated with it. So I guess somebody put me on the list and I started getting it. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, another one, another one. And then I just, it became part of my thing. Oh, when does it you. come out? It comes out every Monday. Okay. And you know, I actually, I started it like 10 years ago. So when I had my own little asset management firm, Avondale, I used to do this as Avondale earnings call notes. And then I paused it for like a year and then we relaunched it. I write it with a business partner, Eric Mokaya, who's based in Sweden. Uh, and we publish it every week. And it's just been one of those things. Like, Is it free? Never promoted it. It's freemium. So if you like. I pay. Not yeah. to brag. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're thank welcome. You. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we uh, basically release most of it. We block out some quotes, which are catalysts for people. So like the quotes that we block out are the ones that you should be investing. Does it live on online on a, on a page or is it just an email product? Uh, it's on a Substack. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. Carlton, do you get the transcript? I'm going to, but Dude. I don't know. Yeah. It's very helpful. For it's like, you. It's very, very helpful. For yeah. you, because you have to cover a lot of ground. He's doing a lot of the hard work for you. How do you, you aggregate it all? Is that your secret sauce? Can you tell us? No, I mean, it's it's just reading. It's just person power, basically. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, Eric and I have been doing this together long enough that we can get through a transcript probably in, like, honestly, five to ten minutes and pick out the stuff that we want to know about a company or about the economy, and then we just throw them into a document. We're, like, a pretty well-oiled machine now, Did you ever actually. connect him with uh, the Quarter app with those guys? What do You you can speak to them, right? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, they may have sponsored us at one point, but— um, yeah, I mean, what you're doing jibes perfectly with what they're doing. They're giving you the whole transcript as a PDF and the audio. Yeah, but wait, are they stepping on your toes? Because now they're doing some transcripty type stuff on, on anyway, Twitter. We're often <laughs> imitated. Never Don't worry, that's what we like to say. <laughs> they're from sweet. They're from Sweden. It's going to be very benign. That yeah. competition. <laughs> like they're, not, they're not coming for your neck. Yeah, like don't don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, no. I mean, I think people have tried to aggregate earnings calls, but I think like Eric was standing for a PhD in economics in Sweden. And, you know, we both have CFAs. Like, we cover a lot of ground and have a lot of, like, background in the way we're reading calls. So I think that comes through, hopefully, in the quality of the call. Well, the, that's that's uh, part of the thing is that you actually course. have to know what to look for that would be relevant to, I guess, most people that are getting the transcript are investors, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's who would want it. Yeah. Um, so you have to know what would be relevant to the audience. Yeah, basically. So you're, like, kind of a journalist. Kind of. I mean, yeah. I know journalists really appreciate it because yeah. I think we cover a lot of ground for them. We present it in quotes for them so they're, like, able to just take it and use it in whatever they're doing. Well, but, it's really helpful for me because I'm, like, doing a lot of media and I can't be an expert in everything. I don't pretend to be. But I have to be, like, fluent in what's going on in a broad array of things. And you make me sound smarter than I really am. So, really, well, I love I love, I love, love what you're doing all, all the listeners, if you guys are nerds like me, find where you can subscribe to the transcript, and uh, we'll, we'll post the URL in the show Thank notes. Thank you. It's the transcript.substack.com, and you can just free to subscribe, and Look there's upcharge if you want. Thank all you. Right. But enough about you two. We had an FOMC uh, meeting this week. There seemed to be a sharp market reaction to it in the moment. Um, really worse for the NASDAQ than for – any other stocks that I thought? Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. yeah well, the market ripped immediately, and the reason to the, up, to the upside. Yeah, the reason why was because they there was some pivoty language in there. They said in their release in, in assessing the appropriate stance of monetary policy, the committee will continue to monitor the implications of incoming information for the economic outlook. And this was the, the sentence: the committee would be prepared to adjust the stance of monetary policy as appropriate if risks emerge that could impede the the attainment of the committee's goals. 
Okay. Um, and so based on that, people are like, oh, okay, okay. They're they're mm-hmm. taking into account the the, Cumu- fact that the, the cumulative the cum- effect. Yeah, that that right. there that there may be a leg and all that sort of stuff. Market rallied, and then he got on stage, and the market fucking fell apart. It was bad. It it was one of those things where I did not have to cover the meeting, you know, live. I mean, obviously, as we all know, we all have to be up on these things. I was working on something else. I'm like, oh, great. There was a good market reaction to it. Yeah. And then it was like, yeah, what wait, did he what, what, what did he happened? say? My text, wait, you texted I, me. I, You're I, like, I was, I got, what did you say? I was in the bathroom or I something? I was out. I was like, what did he say? Yeah. So Bespoke, Bespoke has this great chart showing S&P 500 performance on Fed days from 2.30 p.m. to the close. And it was by far, <laughs> the market fell- Do we have it? The market fell 3%. There it is. From 2.30 to the close. Oh, look at that. First of all, this data is amazing. I don't know where they get this from, but look at this. Mm-hmm. The market absolutely fell apart. Why? Well- <laughs> That's one of the worst responses to an FOMC. No, it's the worst. It's going back to 94. So I thought it was, so, so I had data saying that the average move year to date for an FOMC day was plus or minus 1.9%. And so this was kind of in line. And then at 3.15, it just felt completely fell out of bed. So a few quotes. We will stay the course until the job is done. Market didn't like that. What I'm trying to do is make sure our message is clear, which is we think we have a ways to go. Ways to go is not good. We have some ground to cover with interest rates before we get to that level of interest rates we think are sufficiently restrictive. Uh, Market didn't like any of this. Not one bit of it. Why was the market surprised by any of it, though? That's the thing that— I don't know. Because, I mean, you're Jay Powell. You can only say the same thing so many times. I mean, there's only so many ways of saying something. And, you know, I read it. I read the transcripts. It's like, I feel like this is exactly what he's been saying for six months. We know inflation is still high. You know, we got some positive jobs data. We'll see more on Friday morning, whether that trend continues. It's just none of this seems surprising to me if you pay any attention to what's going well, on. Well, the market thought there was going to be a pivot. There was some leakage. No, some, there, was, there was, it's not a pivot. It's not a pivot to, to dovish. To but, do, no, to do 50 or maybe be more, mm-hmm. more to, to slow it down. He did say he said, we'll no. slow it down. He he basically said we we will slow it down, What he but what he did at the same time was push the upper the upper limit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's it. That's the so thing. So listen, if 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 the risk free rate over, you know, one year is higher than we thought terminal rates would be, if it's now in the five percent range, guess what? That's not great for the stock market. Right? Like the stock market is competing with the bond market at this point. And mm-hmm. so for, fl- for flows. Yeah. And yeah. so the arithmetic is wildly different. And so things are changing. Let's put this, uh, John, let's put this chart up of size of Fed hikes cuts over the past 30 years. I mean, these are like, these are big outliers. Yeah. So we're doing 75. There's been five in the last 30 years. How many have we done this year? Was four, this the fourth? Four. This is the fourth? So there's yeah. only been five 75 basis point rate hikes there's in one. modern history. There was one. There was one going into this year. That makes the four that we did this year extremely rare and historic. And then they're going to hit us with another 50 or 75 in December. It's uh, it's a lot. And we're digesting it. Like the stock market is not down 50% while this is going on. Mm-hmm. Scott, I know the story is still being written, but how do you think J-Pal will be remembered if somebody's reading Time Magazine 50 years from now? I mean, this is super interesting. It, it, I, I actually thought he was going to be like a caretaker uh, chairman of the Fed, basically. Like, I didn't think he was going to be around for that long. But the way that he's managing it, it seems like he kind of wants to be a long-term Fed chairperson. Would you have, like, some pretty prolific Fed chair people in Mariner Eccles and then also with William Nick Chesney Martin throughout the 20th century? 
William McChesney Martin basically came, came in, in Kennedy. No, I think it was under Truman actually. Yeah, maybe he was around like, for a long time. Yeah, late Truman Eisenhower, but he was around for a really long time. And like, I mean that. And then obviously we know Volcker is like mm-hmm. in the modern era a really important chairperson. And then Arthur Burns. I think one of the most bearish things that I've read during this time was somebody on Twitter who I don't even know really what the source was, but was like kind of quoting something that they had heard inside the Fed that Powell was pretty concerned about his own legacy as an inflation fighter in this, and he didn't want to be remembered as Arthur Burns, the person who let Nobody inflation does. just go. Nobody does. And so, like, that to me was the one quote that I read, like, in July as we were, like, bear market rallying, where I was like, if this is true, then Jerome Powell is coming and just, like, like an like a hammer coming down on the economy, making sure that He's inflation is the only is Fed out, chairman so. that was not trained as an economist. Yeah. Um, I don't like that he's really worried about his legacy. That's maybe not the best— Maybe not the best thing in right. that role. Like, worry about, worry about the economy, and we'll deal with your legacy like sometime in the future. And then the two things are not necessarily the same. He comes in under Trump. He spends the first two years getting tweeted at relentlessly. Um, I don't even know what what they were wanted him to do at that point. But uh, this strikes me as the biggest policy error in fifty years. Which one? What he's doing right now? What he's doing last year? Or last year? Yeah. 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 What he did oh, last yeah, year? Last year. Yeah. For sure. I don't really think it can be undone at this point. So you think he's taking the right course of action right now? Me? Yeah. I th- I wish they would talk less. I I I don't, I don't like the press conferences. I come from a time where they didn't do this shit. They just came out. They made a move. Uh, you went off of Greenspan's briefcase size, or dude, Greenspan spoke like the caterpillar from Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Nobody could understand what he meant. And actually, the fa- the famous quote was somebody saying like, somebody saying like, we understood what you meant. He said, then I failed. Like, what, what was it? <laughs> right. the, he goes, that means I failed. Like, that's that's yeah. my kind of Fed is like, shut up. We know what we're doing. This is too much. I I think so too because, and I say this as a reporter, we're getting answers to questions, holding power accountable, all of that. I mean, that that is the job. But you listen to some of these press conferences and it's people asking the same question over and over, just trying to split a hair on some point. And kind of like I was saying earlier, how many more ways can Powell say what the Fed is trying to accomplish? It's, you know, we have to get inflation under control and he can't throw the R word around too much because that will really spook markets. But it just feels like what the Fed is doing. The R word is very politically incorrect. Oh, totally. (laughs) No, no, no. Like no president wants their Fed chief saying recession. Like you're just not supposed to say it. So that's why he says pain. Exactly. And then people say, oh, well, what kind of pain and blah, blah, blah. And it's (laughs) like throbbing. (laughs) The Fed is just trying to say, look, we have to get this under control. I mean, we're talking about, you know, eight, eight and a half percent inflation. Look at what's going on in other parts of the world. Argentina's at like 100 percent inflation. They go dead. Like, I mean, think about like the global impacts of all of this. So I think what the Fed's trying to do is just can we manage a recession? Because He keeps going like uh, we're going to be data dependent. And then the reporter's like, yeah, but what are you going to do in three months? He's like, we're going to be data dependent. I know, but still, what are you going to do? Yeah. And it's a a game at this point. Um, Can we do the two-year? This thing is trading like a fucking meme stock. (laughs) Look, I mean, this is not normal, right? The numbers are not that dramatic, but we go into the meeting at four uh, four spot five five. And then he's a little bit conciliatory, a little bit dovish, sort of, in the statement. And the yield drops to four spot four two, I think, was the low. And then he says higher for longer, however he said it. And we're at four point seven in a four point six something in a flash. That seems like a lot of volatility 
for a situation where they're going out of their way to like constantly communicate. So I, I feel like it's too much talking. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think that the market did get hoodwinked here by that Wall Street Journal article that happened a couple of weeks ago, which said that they were going to pivot. And everyone was like, okay, they're going to pivot dovish. And then they went into this quiet period. No one was really talking. Yeah. And I think this was like the data point that probably, um, I don't know, uh, disciplined actors were looking for is like, Powell's going to speak. He spoke, confirmed that they're not pivoting. Or even if they are pivoting, he confirmed very clearly that the pivot doesn't matter to a slower pace. It's mm-hmm. about the how high we're raising rates. And all the data that we've seen in the last few weeks suggests that we actually have to go even higher than we, we thought. Before we're going to get a jobs. We're so. going to get a jobs report uh, by the time this airs Friday morning. We're going to get yeah. October non-farm payrolls. Yeah, they must have seen it. It must. It must be a shock. Yeah, it's got to be like a, a whopper of a jobs report for him yeah. to be suggesting five and a half percent or whatever. Wait, do they get? Do they get? Do they see the jobs reports in advance? Hundred percent. Is that controversial or no? It's not. That's their job. They okay. should see it. They see the data as it's coming in. I don't know if they see a finished job job report, but they. See like the data so they, that's so they, could, into they it. could they could put it together they could piece it together. I mean, because we because we've because we've seen the the seventy five basis points from fifty heading into a jobs number before, like like the Fed try I think wants not to not be humiliated. So what happens if we get a strong job report to mark to the, to the market uh, down down eight hundred? Pancaked again? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Isn't hasn't that been a trend this year? Not one jobs report has come out and given you any inkling any idea. About inflation being but so, under Scott, control. You're, you're you're looking reading all these transcripts. I feel like the the layoffs and the hiring freezes are only come from tech companies. So Stripe yeah. announced today 14% layoff. It's not spreading yet. Yeah, no, there's nothing. And this is as you guys were talking about this. I was thinking like the jobs report is a lagging indicator at this point because yeah. you actually, if you're just reading along with the earnings transcripts like we do or any any source, you're seeing still strength in the labor market. You're not seeing real weakness. So there are these uh, data points of people freezing hiring and stuff like that, but. The commentary from kind of the overall economy that we saw throughout this earnings season was strength in the labor market. Can we still. bring inflation down without unemployment going to 6% or higher? Is that possible? I don't know. It's never happened, but uh, we can dream. I, I think the, the real question is like, will the Fed lay up until we get a recession? And I think the answer is probably not. Like they seem to be very intent on creating a recession yep. at this point. Uh, Powell in the press conference talked about like the probability of a soft landing is really low now. So, but so if know, they keep going, the housing market is is already frozen. It's going to break. Yeah, and these are all leading indicators, right? And unemployment is a lagging indicator, and it's also the one that the Fed looks at. So, like you think about policy errors, their just entire model is focused on like heavily lagging indicators, which is why they missed inflation starting and why they'll be like they're looking at possibly like, last they're to looking realize at that there's rent, a recession. Rent and wages, which comes after the destruction has started. It doesn't lead us into that. Yeah. Um but that that's what's in PCE and that's what they're looking at. Yeah. I assume they're looking at other things, but I don't know if they're making decisions based on it. Yeah. Like, cre- like credit credit card data, debit card data. My I, actual opinion is they just used the S and P five hundred for I've the always, last. I have always years. said that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't seem to care this year. We yeah. broke the two hundred day moving average. Yeah, no. They came in with another seventy five basis points. I mean, this posture of Fed that we're seeing now is one we haven't seen for a very long time. Certainly since the financial crisis. I, I'm like, surprised. I know he yeah. keeps saying the same thing, but I really am surprised like yeah. that he's sticking to it. I think all of us are, and that's why you're seeing this gap in equity prices and the underlying cost of capital, which is really scary for sec- equity securities and also real estate. But you know what a worst case scenario is? 
he does 25 basis points in December, the fucking Dow Jones will be at 40,000. Like that, that's the, that's yeah. the problem. You'll get an ease in financial conditionings, uh, conditions like we have never seen, and it'll be overnight. And that's what he can't – He is between a rock and a hard place. It. Yeah. It's tough. He can't do that. It, it, it'll work against everything that he's done so far. Well, I think to Carlton's point, this is why like how can you be surprised by this? He keeps saying it over and over again. He said it over and over for a year. I know, but, but for like a still, decade, yeah. they trained all of us to be like, well, you're going to be – you're going to come to the rescue out. the yeah. second. Yeah, there's the there's the you know the Fed put there for multiple decades. We've all been bailed out by the Fed. So maybe like, if he were an eye patch, like maybe if he totally changed his persona from what it was in the easy days yeah. <laughs> when they were failing to hit their inflation target, like if he just came out like more of a badass and like almost like changed his demeanor, but he's still like so chill. Yeah, he's like very matter of fact and soft spoken. There's no no emotion. So people haven't gotten the message that like, no, you don't understand. Yeah. It's not going back to the way it used to be. Yeah. So. Yeah. You need a little, as I've said before, you yeah. know, and cigarette hanging out of the Megaphone. mouth. Megaphone. Yeah, exactly. Listen up. <laughs> um, so let's talk about earnings. Uh, it's it's uh, Scott, it's good to have you here because it's a busy period of time. Before we get to earnings, I'm just going to, for the record, it's 334 Thursday in, afternoon. In Coinbase is coming out in 20-something uh, minutes. And, and, pay, and PayPal. And I predict... That Coinbase is going to go. It's fifty six, fifty nine. I think it's going to open up at forty five bucks. How much should it go hours. down today, or it, it looks, is it down today? It sounds six. It's down almost seven percent. It looks. So it looks. It looks disgusting. It's trading so heavy. And Robinhood numbers weren't great. Stock acted well because it's less bad than expected. But I feel like Coinbase could be a disaster. Like the numbers are going to be so bad. I think Coinbase was green this morning. Was it? Yeah. What could you possibly be expecting to be good on this call? It just has to be less bad than expected. That's it. Which is possible. I don't. Know. Is anyone trading crypto like in real life right now? What did Robinhood say about their crypto trading? Did they mention it? I actually haven't read that one yet. Okay. Um, let's, so let's That's below his line. <laughs> Robinhood is below my line. LOL. All right. So uh, from facts that we've got around 50-something percent of companies reported. This was end of, at, the, at the end of October. Excuse me. The growth rate for earnings is 2.2% right now. If that is where we finish, it will be the learnings, the lowest earnings growth rate since Q3 2020. And I wish we had numbers before that because obviously that's an outlier. That was pandemic. Uh, on the revenue side, 9.3%. If that is where it lands, that will be the first time that we've had lower than 10% since Q4 2020. So it's a, it's a real deceleration. We're getting strength. We're getting strength in, of course, earnings. I'm sorry, energy, industrials look good. Um, but communication services, oh boy. Not good. Yeah, it's brutal there. I mean, you look at like what happened to Meta, what was it, two weeks ago? I mean, is that what we're calling it now? It's just, it's ugly out there. It's definitely like a kind of pick or choose though when it comes to some of the tech-oriented stocks because some have done very well. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. I just bought it like after it blew up. You bought Meta? I bought Meta. I bought Facebook yesterday. I bought Meta <laughs> and it's still falling. I might, I, might just, I might just get rid of it. But uh, that is the worst thing I've ever seen, I think. Like of a lot, like outside of Lehman, you know, like outside of that stuff, like just a regular company, not going bankrupt or anything like that, but just a regular company where sentiment and fundamentals are collapsing simultaneously. That is the hands down the worst thing I've ever oh, seen. Oh, the decline is warranted. I'm just saying it's down 800 billion in market cap or something. <laughs> I have never seen anything like that. No one has. Can you think of any anything even comparable from any era? No, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing, right? To this. I mean, like the thing that's incredible, though, is it's it's uh, 
Facebook had operating leverage, like the financial companies had financial leverage. Yeah. And so when you start to get a decline in revenue, profit falls really quickly with it. How, so expl- you're able Explain to, what you mean by that. Well, like it's actually a function of how strong the Facebook business model is that it has so much operating leverage because it has like a low fixed cost base and then all of the revenue you're driving through it is just great. So it the growth is just so gro- gross yeah. margins. Gross margins are still, I think, almost 80% of the family of apps, which is absurd. Yeah, exactly. And so like, ad, it's like profit is revenue almost. So if you have like a 10% decline in revenue, you have a 10% decline or larger in profit. Oh, it becomes right? one for one. Yeah. And it's not a fixed cost, uh, operating the company because they keep throwing more money. CapEx, yeah, CapEx is, is closing. They're the spending yeah. like into declining free cash flow at a rapid rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. CapEx so, is going to pass revenue. Almost. I mean, it, it obviously is like a total cluster over there right now. But if you guys did buy Meta, the two quotes we actually picked out of the earnings call, which I think like should make you feel maybe a little bit better, which I saw is like a hint of a catalyst. Don't there. tell me it's about feet in the metaverse. <laughs> no, I think Please, this is God. this entire conversation is actually supportive of it. It's just like the idea that Facebook is a metaverse company has become so overblown at this point that people think all of the investment is in that. And actually, the CFO was talking about like the vast majority of their investment spend is in Reels. AI and data. So they're, 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 I don't want to say they're catch up to TikTok, but that's where all the spend is. Yeah. And that's, so that's the second catalyst. So the first one is AI and data center is actually where they're spending their CapEx, which I think like the market would tr- probably be much more comfortable with than metaverse. And then the second data point is that they're actually taking share from TikTok is what they said on their conference. No call, way. It's not which true. If they are, it, that Reels is taking they must share be in terms taking of, share of time. users. So I, I mean, they may, I think they're taking share of eyeballs is actually what they said. But I have also heard that like from like this is anecdotal stuff from other businesses that like TikTok's really hard for a business to actually buy space on and like figure out how to advertise mm-hmm. on. Real so I actually heard yeah. a CMO told me of a consumer products company like a week ago told me that what they like to do is they like to see what catch, catches fire in TikTok and then they go and promote it on Instagram Reels. Because they can measure people still. And that's what Sheryl Sandberg did for Facebook. She really turned it into like a measurement advertising. Here's the problem though. So. When, they bi- when they tell you that Reels is growing, what they're doing is cannibalizing other formats of their own. Yeah. So, right? Like the creators all pivoted to Reels because that's what Facebook right. was putting into people's feeds. So, so here's, here's TikTok uh, usage, which appears to be plateauing. But now we're stepping on what are your thoughts because I'm pitching this on Tuesday. Okay. So let's let's move off of Facebook for a second and just talk more generally about uh, – I think a lot of people have moved off of Facebook. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> about, about earnings. That um, was probably the most interesting. All right. So, so we Josh and I spoke earlier in the year like a lot that analyst estimates are still way too high. And they were, like, this wasn't that long ago. It was probably, what, like four months ago? Yeah. So it's not that long ago. Gina Martin Adams tweeted, we can safely call this an analyst forecast capitulation. S&P 500 estimates now falling for the two years ahead. This is this is a good thing, right? So tw- Coming back right, down so, to earth. Yeah. You know, so this yeah. is 2022 expected earnings per share, 23 and crashing, 24. Crashing. They're all crashing. Crashing. But are they, re- it looks like they're crashing from the chart. They are. We're coming- going from 270 to 260. Is a crash for 2022? Percentage-wise, what is that? Yeah, but look at 2023 and 2024. They're coming down materially. Yeah, all right. So that that's interesting to me. So we're saying that 23 estimates in orange are significantly lower than where we think 2020. So an earnings recession, even if we don't get a real recession, is that the, is that the takeaway from this? Uh, EPS, but also they're always wrong. I mean, estimates are coming down. Yuri and Timmer tweeted... While most companies are beating lowered earnings estimates, 
And that's why it's important that these estimates come down so that we can step over them. Um, there's an unmistakable slowdown in EPS growth. He said X Energy earnings growth for 2022 is expected to be a modest 1.8% with risk to the downside. So much of this, though, is the comp. And the comp is 2021. And 2021 mm-hmm. was so bizarre. That's that's one of the bigger issues. Um, the other big issue, though, is that the earning – Scott, you could probably confirm this. The earnings component for uh, – S&P 500 earnings is like 70% goods, 30% services. And the real economy is the reverse of that. So the economy is going to be better than earnings. Is that the right way to think about that? Interesting. I actually don't know that stat. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's something to that effect. Like, Who did that? Like uh, – like cars and iPhones are a really big part of – and barrels of oil and um, pills from Merck are a really big part of S&P earnings. But in the actual economy, it's like 70% services, only 30% goods. Yeah. So the stock how, market's the opposite, right? And the stock, so yeah. that's how you can get like a big disparity. Like we could, we, could have three, we could be in 3% GDP this quarter that we're in right now and earnings are going to be 1% like, and falling. Yeah. So that's how you get that kind of disparity. Interesting. It would be interesting to see that in terms of market value, too, of how much market value is ascribed to like well, Apple future what? earnings, basically. I mean, you know. Yeah. I, I know we don't know. Are, are sellers exhausted? And I ask this because- like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like uh, Peloton opened this morning. It was down a lot. I don't know how much it was down, but it's up 6% on the day. Um, Roku, I know, was down 20% in the after hours last night. It's down now down 4.5%. So- We've said this a lot, and we don't know, but like, how much uh, how much front running has the market done? Like, oh, like how much? How much, is how, baked, much how much? How much fear is baked in already? Well, that was my. I, I mean, fa- Facebook's down eighty percent almost. But that was my thing on Meta. Like, how many times can they sell the stock off on the same news? Like, all right, we get it. There's, they're spending too much. You know, well, they now keep, what? They keep doing it. Though. I mean, if you have multiple compression and earnings decline, though, it's not like good. it's not it. It's. Who knows what the bottom is? It, fe- right? it feeds on itself. Yeah, I mean, it's and and this is Meta was like the most extreme case of it this year, but it's for the whole market. If you have earnings starting to climb, but you have like these really inflated earnings multiple multiples, and you have the cost of capital going up, it's but you have a, these earnings multiples, it's dangerous cocktail. Yeah, I mean, like the S and P five hundred earnings multiple or earnings yield started to converge with the ten year Treasury yield, and that's, so like, tough. shouldn't there be an equity premium? Probably. And if the 10-year treasury yield is going to go to 6% in order to be a yield, real yield or 7%, like, what do you do with earnings multiples there? What do you do with cap rates on real estate? That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Like, we have real estate that trades at, like, 3.5%, 4-percent cap rates for the last that? 10 years. What the hell is that? Yeah. That was a screen open. Oh, oh I, yeah. I was that was, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. somebody else's antenna coming in. We yeah. are in Midtown Manhattan. So that, was, that, was Carlton's, uh, that, was, that was Carlton's supervisor. <laughs> she's, she's due back at Barron. <laughs> so uh, they are selling the shit out of Fang. Somebody said Amaz- Amazon's down fifty one percent. Somebody told me Google's going straight or, or down. Somebody too. somebody said this somewhere. I forgot where I heard it. Apple's market cap is bigger now than Meta, Amazon, and Alphabet combined. Is that possible? Yes, I've read that. Is that it possible? Well. I mean, we could do that. Apple math. is bigger. Yeah. I, I Amazon's a tr- Amazon's nine hundred. Wait, well, Meta what, what, what is two fifty. Apple's Apple's bigger than who? Meta, so Apple still Apple still two po- Apple still two point two, which is insane. Yeah, it's wow. held in. So, so Amazon nine hundred. Amazon is one. So between Amazon and 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 Google, you get to two, and then two. Yeah, same. Wow, that's crazy. That's insane. That's insane. Because yeah. these were all stocks that we thought were on the way to three trillion each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think like the difference between Apple and the others is Apple's profits are so secure in the way that they're being like truly generated that the market has given them that sounds complacent to me. But (laughs) no, no, no. This is what I'm saying. Like Apple is actually trading more like a consumer staples company than a tech company. And this is actually like the concern when I say real estate cap rates of three and a half percent. It's like the the consumer staples are like the the steady cash flow elements of this economy are not actually pricing in where interest rates are going, where the cost of capital is going. And so if you actually believe the cost of capital is going to rise and stay there as the Fed keeps communicating, then how can you justify equity valuations, equity costs of capital, cost of equity at like three and a half, four and a half percent? Yeah, the hurdle hurdle is just so high. So, yeah. You think about five, you you talk about risk-free five percent. Yeah. This is the scary part. I mean, that's, and what if it goes higher? And it, so the market's repricing right now. It makes yep. sense. And, and it has a lot more to reprice, actually. So like, right, the cut, us and, off. cut us my cut us my No, but I mean, like the fear and greed continuum is real. Absolutely. Like maybe we're like far on the fear side, and maybe you go through a, a period of like you readjust. And this is actually the way that the Fed and the whole economy reacted throughout like the '60s and '70s to inflation. Is you would basically get the Fed come in, hammer the economy. It would go like to the point where they couldn't handle any more pain. And then they would reflate the economy for a couple of years. And then it would be the same cycle over and over, like five times they did it, basically. But if you look at the the chart of the Dow from 66 through 82, it's flat ugly. on a nominal it's basis. Ugly. But on a real basis, you had a worse bear market yeah, from 66 killed. to 82 yeah. than you did from 20. Because all 32. the costs in the economy have gone up and your stock price has remained the same. So yeah. it's not a break even. Yeah. So like we as a society just like have this fear of greed trend that like – Go, it's it's higher it's lower highs at this point whereas we used to get to like higher highs with each push each greed peak but like at least if the fed maintains this posture for the foreseeable future because it's being pushed by inflation like we're in a lower high zone and this is on our on the transcript we've been talking about the fed call instead of the fed put since um, the beginning of more. last year say more well, it's just, you know, the Fed put idea was that the Fed's always going to be there to buy any dip, basically, yeah. and that they'll, you know, they'll support the economy in a deflationary environment. But if you're in an inflationary environment, all of a sudden they're they're selling every peak. So anytime that the market goes higher- They have to fight it. They have to fight it. That's what we're saying. Yeah. And that's, the Dow literally stayed at the thousand mark from that 66 through 82. It yeah. like never, it was like 16 years that it never broke. You're not getting multiple mark, expansion so. anytime soon. No. And you and, could have multiple cratering. And, and you could have multiple come down and you really could have an earnings recession that that uh, I think is not currently being talked about. All right, so what are we talking about? 2,200 on the S&P, for goodness sakes? Well, I, I, so, I mean, it's how far does that fall? And Josh, I think you you tweeted something like years ago that always stuck with me. That there's like thank some- Thank you. <laughs> thank you there, <laughs> one, There's some one correlation though, between just like, yeah, like just the human fear of falling. Like we don't like the I did? like yeah I, I believe that was you maybe I'm misattributing no, Josh no, no. Brown said we don't, don't know like if the fall. it was if it was brilliant and stuck with you it was probably me <laughs> it but. was just like so there's some point at which like falling prices feel like you're falling out of a window from like some sort of height yeah. and you just don't want to sustain that and so that's why like we actually like the feeling of inflation or like things rising it feels like more psychologically deep to yes. have that and so like. You know, will we get to 2200? That's probably too much pain, honestly, for the Federal Reserve. So they'll probably get to a point where they're like, oh, well, 3000 is enough pain and they'll start to reflate again. Mm-hmm. But the multiples will silently co- contract, right? Even if the nominal number stays flat, the earnings will grow with inflation. And so you'll have like 
earnings multiples contract over a very long time. So it's Google, like Google a for slow example, rip off of a day. Google is the, probably the first, not probably, it's the first company in history that went from two trillion on its way to one trillion. It's going to get cut in half. It's basically there. It, it, it's traded on an average PE over the last ten years of about thirty, close to thirty, and now it's sixteen times. What's earnings. scary about it, now that? Now it's sixteen times earnings. What's scary about that is. Um, one, so we did a decade of multiple compression in the seventies culminating in Volcker really pouring it on. But like you, I don't think the S and P bottoms until eight or nine times earnings backing out the cash or exactly. something like that. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, we're still double that yeah. now. It's not 1979. We're not yeah. on gas lines. It's not the same issue. I agree. I mean, I think this inflationary period is closer to like the post-World War II inflationary period where you had like huge direct government stimulus mm-hmm. to consumers yeah. in the form of they actually like worked on building and then the unwind and, and then the unwind of that. Right. And like really the way the government uh, fought inflation in the in the from 45 to 50 was like price controls or like from 40 to 50 was price controls. And then Marinel Eccles was actually like the first one to start raising interest rates to fight inflation. So, okay, but he, and he was, got fired was that by fifties. That Eisenhower. That was like forty eight. Okay, that he started to do that. And okay. so, actually, the the weird thing I, I like w- always was like looking at this bull market and the bull market previous is like so weird. Actually, this one specifically because it was the only like multi decade or decade long bull market that didn't start with like a nine times earnings multiple, and actually like the eighty two through two thousand bull market and the forty nine through sixty six bull market were basically both fueled by disinflation. So you had these big inflationary periods, which actually ramp earnings, but you have the cost of capital ramping along with it. And then once you finally get the point where you break inflation, the cost of capital can fall, all of this embedded value from earnings basically then accrues to securities. But we had this like fear of falling bull market here where it was like, even though the economy was totally fine in 2010, the Fed just kept pushing... Yeah. Pushing like mm-hmm. but Scott, farther do, and farther do, do with you, QE. Don't you think so. there's also an underlying thing about the makeup of the current bull market prior to the, the makeup the, of the stocks, the themselves. makeup of the stocks, and the makeup of the profit margin of the S and P with these with these eighty uh, percent margin companies? Like it's fundamental. Shouldn't they have traded at a premium? Maybe we took it too far, but shouldn't they have? I mean, maybe and probably, but in the old days, like Ford in the nineteen. 19- the old days, man. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like technology companies get big margin because people don't know how to build the technology, but then everybody figures out how to build the technology and all of a sudden the margin goes away. Right. So like, you know, software engineers know how to build web I think pages. software yeah, but, engineers right, know right. how to build an iPhone, but, but they a, can't but, sell it. But nobody's yeah. attacking Google's margins. Speak Not for, right now. Speak for yourself. I might. I mean, you probably, you honestly, we probably have to go to the railroad era to like really know this. But after a while, the railroad started to have more industrial type margins. Let's do this uh, earnings misses thing really so, quickly. So the market is not being kind to uh, to stocks that miss on the top and bottom line. Holy moly. This is from Bank of America. Uh, earnings misses are getting punished, underperforming the S&P 500 by 667 basis points the next day, the largest in history. Yeah, this is not an environment where you want to be the class clown. Like you, <laughs> you want to put your head down and just do your best. But so that's another good point. It's like companies are adjusting to the new reality. Mm-hmm. Right, like what Uber's doing, turning free cash flow positive as quickly as they did is pretty remarkable. Like companies are onto the fact that the market it wants something. But you had to have what, started that early. Like Dara at Uber in February was like, "We're pivoting to free cash flow. We're selling all this non-core shit. Sold like half their stuff in Asia. Mm-hmm. They sold the um, the automated unit where they were trying to build their own tech. Forget it. Goodbye." 
Not every CEO got the memo no, at well, the same time. So, so Peloton, again, I know, I know I'm mentioning this again, but it's up 7% now. It was crushed at the Did you just buy this? No, I didn't. Stop pumping your bags on the I, show. That's not going to zero. Yeah, so I didn't buy it. I'd right. say if I bought right. it. Um, <laughs> but they are shrinking their losses like dramatically. And I think every company got the memo. I'm not by, saying that every, by now, yeah. yeah. If you, yeah, I would I hope so. I mean, after what we've been through, I mean, there was all this kind of inflated growth that we should have known what was going on in 2020, 2021 was not going to be sustainable. I mean, we're not all going to live in our houses and work in our houses forever. And everyone just pretended that it was totally the new normal. And things just got way ahead of themselves. Yeah, companies got rewarded for spending more. In exactly. Like big investment right. announcements, stocks were going higher. Yeah. So I think like that that mentality takes hold and everyone's doing it. Well, and especially with a lot of the platform companies, um, I mean, Twitter to some extent, um, PayPal, another, like there was this huge hope of like, we're going to be a super app where we're going to be the all-in-one yeah. commerce, communications, finance. And, you know, people were like, yeah, that sounds great. And we're finally like, no, just stick to what you know how to do. Speaking of like, super apps, like Square's trying to do that. Mm -hmm. They report earnings and they look like they're about to go down 25% also. I don't understand the super app concept. I am perfectly comfortable using my thumb to move to a different app. I don't want to do everything all with one company. Uh, I don't understand why people think there's some reason why the, the super app will win out, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Uh, Warren Buffett, we should mention. Uh, Mark. <laughs> He might actually know something. Like when you look at Apple <laughs> relative to every other stock on earth, hey, it turns out maybe he wasn't lucky for the last 70 years as an investor. Um, his top three stocks are three of the best stocks in the market this year or relatively speaking in their respective sectors, let's say, with uh, Apple, Bank of America, and Chevron all had outstanding earnings reports. Apple is holding up better than any other mega cap tech company. Not anymore. Chevron is not today. Chevron is crushing it uh, this year. No, for real. Look at Apple. It's down 10% in the last three days. All right. But it's awful. Compare it, to, compare it to Alphabet and get back to me. <laughs> I mean, I on? think this is the story. I you think don't have this to raise your like, hand. You're, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Apple was up 8% is, after earnings. Yeah. Get it all think, back and then some. I think this is the story as uh, Powell, as people start to believe Powell that they're actually going to raise rates higher and keep them longer. Repricing. You have to reprice yeah. the f the steady cash flows, and that's the scariest thing. I think what you're seeing this year, the scary cut his mic again. <laughs> the scary <laughs> thing is you're like seeing the tide roll in, and you're seeing it roll in on the stuff that was the furthest expended, extended, like yeah. the meme stocks, the stuff that was those sand castles have already flow. been washed away. Those are already washed away, and like because interest rates were held so low for so long. The, the cash flowing, the steady cash flowing assets are, are, deserve to be repriced too. And so it's like, how far is the Fed going to let the tide roll in before they're like, now well, it's coming for second. the lifeguard stand. No, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Apple, seriously. Apple, Apple is, is lifeguard stand. Yeah. And so they're not going to be able to withstand that pain at some point. They're going to turn around. And that's why you could have like a part two of this two years from now. But like, it's fundamentally like the biggest single biggest thing I took away from time magazine is that securities prices are driven by the cost of capital and the fed sets the cost. Apple's of capital. the last man standing. Um, has, this yeah. is Molly full. Apple reported its highest fiscal Q4 revenue ever 90.1 billion in company history. Let me pause $90 billion in revenue in one quarter. Um, Importantly, this milestone was achieved despite stiff currency headwinds. Yeah, they didn't even cry about the dollar. Uh, the tech giant also posted its highest fiscal Q4 gross profit margin ever. How the hell could that hold up? 
right? Like how, how could record revenue when Qualcomm told us last night mm-hmm. declining handset? Like there's yeah. just no way. So Apple's yeah. at Apple's at a buck forty ish, a buck forty two. You know where it was at the lows in March twenty twenty, which is not really relevant, but just for fun to really scare people. Let me guess. One ten. It's at one forty two right now. Oh, where was it in where March twenty twenty? What, what, what was the low price in March twenty twenty? One forty. It's one forty now. The low was fifty three. Wait, oh. what? Really? For Apple? Holy shit! Wow. And where did it get? Where did it? Where did it get? Where did it get up to? That's sixty percent lower. Where did it get up to at the at, in November of last year? The high was the high was one eighty five. So uh, that that could be that could does be. Apple does Apple hold hundred? I don't know. I mean, it's you tell me what multiple you're going to put on earnings. Well, it's a it's an it's a it's a twenty three multiple now. Is that right? Okay. Uh, I think Apple could hold the twenty multiple. If they're operating the way that they are, I I don't see why it wouldn't deserve to. A lot of the staples are trading at high multiples. Yeah. I mean, they're pricing towards like a 5% cost of capital, like a 5% tenure. Well, and also to your point, I mean, I almost start to think of Apple almost as a staple with, you know, kind of like a – A lot of people do. Look at this table. Your MacBook crashes tonight. Your iPhone crashes. What? I'm buying another one. You're buying another one right away. You're not even. You're not. Barry Ritholtz is buying it, but I see your point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, you know, am I going to rush out and get the newest phone or newest whatever just because it's out? No, but I'm definitely replacing. Can't live without it. Exactly. Can't really go a day without it without it. Oh, but a this phone. is what uh, Oswath was talking with Patrick O'Shaughnessy about a couple months ago. Like, we don't know what the appropriate multiple for these SaaS companies, like he was talking about Netflix, like how recession resistant is Netflix? Like probably people aren't canceling, but what is, what happens to the multiple though? Yeah. Cause well, we know it goes low. Right. <laughs> we know what, we know it goes in one direction. We don't know how extreme. So again, th- this is a lot of bearish talk out here and, and probably rightfully so. Like there is a repricing of risk where mm-hmm. we're witnessing it think every the, single day. Do you think we're more bullish on the show when the market closes green? <laughs> oh Yeah. You think we are? I mean, Duncan, what do you, you guys think? need to do a chart? Yeah. It's a yeah, different vibe. I think it, yeah, I think Darth Vader on the table too. Well, we put Darth Vader on the table when the market's Nicole does that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And then who comes on when the market goes up? Chewbacca. Chewy. Yeah, Chewbacca. Wait, is that for real? Yeah. Yeah, yeah doing... we do that. <laughs> so Duncan is gaslighting us. <laughs> uh, Carlton, can we talk about junk? We can talk about junk. Okay, junk. So what's Michael set this up? Or somebody? What's going on uh, here? So there's 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 no junk bond issuance, which is which is an interesting dynamic. We spoke about this in, in the time that companies were just gorging on debt. Why wouldn't they? It was mm-hmm. it was free. So these are some pretty incredible stats. Uh, so junk rated companies have raised just three point seven billion dollars this month. That number would represent the slowest October since two thousand eight. Uh, these companies borrowed ninety one billion like dollars. It's like the IPO market. It's like yeah. shut down. Yeah, ni- well, exactly. But this is actually shut down for a decent reason. Like they already gorged. Well, sort of the IPO market. Um, $91 billion this year would be the lowest year total since, again, 2008. I, I hate these 2008 comparisons. I mean, October 2008, I yeah, was yeah. – I think we were both – well, you're in wealth management, obviously. I was then, and it was brutal, brutal time. But I think to your point, I mean – Wait, where uh, were you in 2008? Um, I was living in Seattle. I was with a boutique firm there. J- uh, Janny Monk. What is it called? Uh, Laird Norton. Oh, I never heard of that. What were you doing there? I was – You cold calling? No, God, you no. You calling rich people? Oh, my God, no, 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 no. Uh, junk bonds? I was, <laughs> I was an associate level uh, working under an advisor. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's where I got my start. It was. You loved it so much, you went right into journalism. Exactly, for the higher paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but why don't you like these comparisons? I mean, these we are seeing a capital market shutdown, unlike 
really we, anything that we've seen since then. Yeah, I mean, we definitely are unlike anything we've seen since then. But I think we saw just a totally different type of silliness in 2005 to 2007 versus 2020. More irresponsibility. Yeah, like, you know, we'll talk about the things that we saw over the last few years where, um, you know, the meme stock craze, back craze, things like that. But I didn't have, you know— that people making $20,000 a year, you know, buying vacation homes with, you know, zero down payment. You're not, you weren't seeing that type of things where people were really like speculating with like their future. It was more kind of the funny money that they were being given. So when you make these comparisons, like, yeah, of course it's going to be lower. But to your point also, I mean, we did gorge on debt when it was free and cheap, which I mean. Which we should have. Yeah. That was the whole point of it. Exactly. So does not surprise me that we're seeing these levels. No, the but. banks stayed out of this. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, they did IPOs and SPAC. They did they did it as investment banks, which is their job. But they weren't didn't also put their own money. Yeah, they weren't, taking, <laughs> they weren't taking balance sheet risks. They were they, they weren't were, taking balance sheet risks because they can't anymore. Yeah, they would have. I think they would have. Oh, totally. I mean, so you read all of Time Magazine. One of my fun things to do years ago was uh, reading the annual reports from the big banks, like going into the financial crisis. So you know, two thousand five, two thousand six. I swear it. Read like they had exclamation points on how they were trading and like putting balance sheet risk on. I mean, you almost felt like Goldman Sachs like giddiness coming through in their annual reports from like you know two thousand seven. Did you ever do you do you know the uh, the Lehman Brothers cover story from Barron's from oh five or oh six? I don't. Dick Fold on the cover. It's it's an insane interview. The it's not really all his fault. I forget who the writer was, but the premise is like. I, Mr. Santoli, if it was your article, I apologize. It, the premise was Lehman joins the big boys, basically. Like that was the story. Oof. And you know some like publicist pitched that hard and and got them to bite on it. And it was like a hagiography for Dick Fold. And he like was really flexing. Mm-hmm. And like two years later, is the biggest bankruptcy in American history. But – like that's like the kind of thing where you look back and you were just like, this should have been a red flag. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was to anybody uh, really. You no, know, I mean, I just remember – and I was starting my career in 2005. But looking back at how money was just sloshing around yeah. at that time. I mean, I think back to the things – working in finance, the things I was able to do and afford when I was 22 where I'm like, I knew nothing. How was Dude, there this – Dude, I went to a – I went to – you know, the ice skating rink at uh, Rockefeller Center. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine was a commercial real estate broker in like 06 or 07. And he's like, come to this uh, come to this party. I'm like, I'm not invited. He's like, dude, nobody cares. It's like a real estate, a commercial real estate party in Manhattan in 07 at the ice rink. But it was in the summer. And maybe it was the summer of 06. And they're like handing out lobsters. And, like, they're not even asking, like, are you part of the party? Yeah. I, I like, glide in. It's an outdoor thing. I'm telling you right now, it could have been a 1,000 people, all, like, dudes in white, you know, button-down shirts and, you know, like, all professional real estate people. It was Tishman Spire, I think, through the party. And I'm pretty sure they were handing you a lobster on your way in. Like, when you go to Carlos and Charlie's, they give Mm -hmm. you a shot, like, like when you're on spring break. They were like, oh, welcome. Here's a lobster. (laughs) Here's some Dom on your way out. You know, no, like, literally, here's an entire lobster. <laughs> have, a, have a great time. And if I had known anything back then, I don't know anything now. I really didn't know anything back mm-hmm. 
I would have been like, this is some late cycle bullshit. Oh, totally. I mean, I had similar experience. So I started my career in, in Philly um, working for a commercial finance firm. I, if anyone knows Philly, um, I worked on Rittenhouse Square, north part of the square. My yeah, friend worked for um, a healthcare advertising firm on like the east side of the square. I swear every night that week, someone's managing director was hosting yeah, something yeah. somewhere. And just like you, it doesn't matter if you're not on the list, just show up. Just show up. So yeah. th- maybe that phenomenon was taking place in Miami in 2021. Like crypto bashes, but that's not the economy. Exactly. I mean, it's a side show. I mean, and yeah, there is real money that's lost there, but it doesn't, I think, have that kind of, you know, full effect on the broader economy. Uh, Gunlock said, do you, you taking any asset managers letters and not pulling much. excerpts out? Why not? not? I mean, we try to just follow people who are running industrial companies for the most part, like okay. industrial tech. Because you're trying to keep it informational and not opinion-y. Yeah, and we don't really want to get over-biased by what the financial markets are saying or, like, financial pundits are saying. So That's people who, like, are frequently or are managing money, talking their own book, like, I try to edit them out usually. Like Unless this asshole. Like, no. <laughs> like me. Yeah. Don't, don't include my, my stuff. It's not going to age well. No, I mean, I think, like, the, the real, like, gods of our industry we put in, we'll put in, like— you know, if Soros says something or Druckenmiller says okay. something, like uh, Dahlia will get in there every once in a while. Because that like, could be a spinoff product. Yeah. You could do the transcript, mm-hmm. but like um, investment professionals. Yeah. So you would have like Howard Marks, Michael Batnick, yeah. people like that, like whatever <laughs> they said. Uh, Gunlock said after the Fed, I think he was talking to CNBC, he said, tax law selling is the biggest risk to the market going into year end. I'd say the Fed. I believe this is the biggest tax law selling opportunity in two generations. I'm not sure what he means by opportunity. And didn't everyone take tax losses? And that's why the market's down 20%. Like, is the, the market's down because people sold yeah. all year. Like from January 1st on, almost every week is like net selling, net selling, net selling. So now people are first going to sell? I, I, I'm not sure about that. It, I it could just be wrong. feels like it's that kind of old-fashioned calendar that you do know when November's starts, everyone's like, oh, don't forget to do your tax loss harvesting, where it's like, well, yeah, but to your point- Everyone's sold already. That's why we're down. Exactly. I can't, I, I don't know. What do you think? Is that chicken and egg? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a major driver of our securities prices. I don't think so either. And mutual funds, uh, fiscal year ends in October. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, seasonality, I always found in reading the Time magazines is real. Like, it is real. The fact that we had like a pretty severe sell-off in September, I mean, I guess October was technically good this year, but like this- happens. Time out. October, notoriously, if you believe in seasonals, is a bear killer. Yeah. October is where they end. Yeah. So it's actually in line with what we should have expected if we believe in seasonals. What do you think about that? I know well, you're not a seasonal. No, 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 no. I was. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. Uh, what are, are you doing? Your f-ing taxes? <laughs> no, I'm, well, I'm doing something for the show. Are you carry cal- on. You're calculating <laughs> something on a spreadsheet. Carry on. Okay. Normally we do our homework before we come to school, Michael. No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the look this kid just gave me. Um, wait. We did the secular repricing thing already, right? No, that's for real estate. Just hit that real quick. All right. This is a Wall Street Journal. Um, this is. Rising interest rates threaten to expose office buildings' inflated values. What are we saying on here? Sorry, sorry. Where's my doc? Uh, okay. So just like we're getting a repricing in equities, same thing is happening in real estate. And this is this is interesting. All right. Uh, some dude, Ronald Dickerman, who's the president of a real estate investment firm, said, I believe that we are in the middle of a secular repricing of commercial real estate. It's a pretty scary proposition, but that's what we're up against. So – 
Since February 1st, 2020, this is from the journal, the S&P 500 is up 20%. Office REITs are down 43%. This is what I like to call the coup de grace, which I might be saying that wrong, but just check this out. We're looking at a chart of the office price index versus the effective- This is the price to buy a building? Versus the effective rent index. And what we're talking about is this, exactly. Between 1997 and the end of 2021, effective office rents, which factor in free months of rent and other gifts to tenants. So for example, you sign a 10-year lease, you get six months free. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that when that's baked in to the price of, of rents, um, from 1997 to 2021, that fell 16% in the 50 biggest US markets, according to Moody's Analytics. And yet, and yet, office building values rose by an inflation-adjusted 91% during that time period, which is bananas. A lot of that is Chinese and Saudi money that's no longer coming in. Um, But like Chinese insurance companies are divesting hotels and office buildings that they bought as like these uh, trophy assets. Mm -hmm. And it's much the same way that Japan was doing like, right, like 30 years ago. And that's not coming back. So who replaces those buyers who are willing to pay, uh, I don't know, $500 a square foot to own the plaza or whatever? Like that's – I think that's one thing. And then um, the post-pandemic reality of people working three days a week, you're just inherently going to have smaller footprints. And that's what keeps me from buying these office suites. On paper, the ones that don't have horrible balance sheets, they look ridiculously cheap. But I don't know what the multiple for these should be. Yeah, so. I mean, I think of myself as someone who likes going into the office, but it's just it's not really feasible every day. I don't know how I did it before, but there's so it's so much easier to get up, get started working from home, and then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm just working from home today. So for what happens to commercial real estate prices, I mean, you're just not having the same foot traffic in there. You don't have the same need for retail on the lower floors. This this adjustment could take a decade though, mm-hmm. because these leases are so long. Yeah. So like when you re- it's the it's the it's the re-upping or the lack thereof that's going to be the price discovery. Alert! Mechanism. Alert! Alert! Good news alert! I was wrong on Square. It's up eleven percent after hours. At least that's wow. the first print. So uh, happy to be wrong on that. All right. So I was doing some homework mid-show. So I apologize. This for- better be the <laughs> sickest revelation of the of the hour. All what right. Got? Listen. All right. So so the last four sessions. This is kind of nuts, actually. Let's go back to the last seven sessions. So in the two days before earnings, Apple was down 2%, then it was down 3%. We got the earnings pop. It was up 8%. Since then, down 1.5, down 1.8, down 3.7, down 4.2. That's bad. So I wanted to look at how, when was the last time that Apple fell 1.5% for four straight sessions? So? 1929. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Sorry. It had to be 2008. I remember it well. <laughs> It's not always. So so these are the numbers. So so it had that, it did that in December 2018. Remember, we had like that Mnuchin saying, don't, don't worry. I spoke to the CEOs of banks and everything's fine. Oh, that was. That just ruined Christmas. That just ruined Christmas. So that was (laughs) so that was the last time that happened. But before that, it literally was 2008. Really? So Apple down four straight days more than 1.5%. Yeah. Carlson hates that. December 2018, (laughs) January 2008. 2007, it happened one time, and before that, you have to go back to the dot-com bubble. You know, a lot so of— So wait, this is real oh. shit. We, no, 100%. I 18, think this is worse than 2001. 18, for- 08, 07, 01. And one time in 08, one time in 07, twice in 2001. I think this is—the NASDAQ, this is worse than 01. We haven't had an 02 yet, right? But, like, 
I think the destruction of capital is definitely higher because these market caps were bigger. Yeah. Squares up 14. And there are there more. I, th I think this is worse. Yeah, but the crazy thing is, like, you have an $800 billion loss of market value of Facebook. That's like $800 billion out of That's some That's bigger than Berkshire pocket. Hathaway. Exactly. And Scott, and Amazon, the Amazon, still not feeling Amazon too. And Google, yeah. too. They both lost 800 Yeah, and the consumer is still not feeling it. So the consumer so is still weird. not like consumer was short. It's not so impacting. The consumer yeah, the subscribes to my macro <laughs> alerts you are and is short. You are Mr. History. Like, is there, I don't want to say there's nothing to be learned from history, but isn't this time truly such a weird period of time? Yeah. Where the consumer is fine. Un there's no unemployment. That's like actually during the Franco-Prussian <laughs> War. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it, it's there's nothing like it's this. It's totally. I mean, we've never juiced the economy to this amount. We've never had a bull market. I mean, it's like it's twelve years, fourteen years, whatever it is now. Do you know a lot of people when you talk to them, they think that we deserve punishment for the amount of stimulus, and they almost think in terms of like they think in like um it's come up like puritanical, yeah, uh, biblical. Yeah. I was gonna say like like uh. What we did, we deserve more pain than what we've gotten in the Nasdaq do you so think, far. Do you think those do you, are? Do you think those people own gold? A hundred. <laughs> no, no, no. The Venn diagram. A hundred percent. They own gold. We know who they vote for too. But there, there's like a. Um, there is a sense that this has to get worse to balance the shit that went on last year, like with the most speculative parts of the market, and it, like we haven't we fully paid yeah. for it. We did I mean, it. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to like do that at all. Like there are definitely like data underpinning and all of that. And like the chart you just showed. Oh, we're not of, accusing like, you of yeah. that. I'm saying. No, no, no. But like the, the commercial real estate versus rents, it's just like the macro macro chart is household net worth versus GDP. And like the multiple has gone crazy on that. We've just taken all of the cash flow from the future by holding interest rates really low and repriced it into the present. And it's like, if you can't continue to do that because you're starting to create inflation, then a lot of those cash flows have to go back into the future. The a people that, that I'm talking about don't know what cash flow is. <laughs> the, and and by the way, it's not a uniquely like conservative or or liberal thing, but like we see this in politics, like people are like, Donald Trump has to go to jail. I'm like, dude, this guy is in court or his lawyers are in court every other day. He lost the presidency. Um, that Like he's, everyone around him went to jail. It's like, it's not enough. No, he has to go to jail or else I can't sleep at night. And so you see that on both sides. I don't mean to say, but there are people right now who feel like that we just must be punished for everything. Mm -hmm. I'll make the bull case here, and I'm not going to go to the Franco-Prussian War, but I will go to World War II, which is like the other basically equivalent period of the type of stimulus that we did, the quantity of stimulus that we did over the last 10 years, the only other time in the 20th century, at least, that the economy sustained sort of the same thing. And we were like 150 billion GNP before World War II. During the peak of World War II, we were like 350 GNP. Because we were just cranking billion. out and what did we get to now? It was all borrowing. Yeah. Well, we I get mean, to that 200 something or not? Now, yeah. now? I mean, we're like 14, I think we're like 20 trillion now yeah, GNP. Yeah. But this is like, this is in actual nominal 1935 through 1945 uh, dollars, but we were like 150 before we got to uh, to 350, and it was all basically borrowed money. We were borrowing the money to win the war. We had to it was for the, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. the to win the war. But when people did the analysis at the end of 45 or even 44, they were like, "Well, what's the economy's GNP going to be like once we come out of the war?" They were like, "Oh, we borrowed all of this money, the 200 billion dollars. It's going to go right back to the what the economy was before the war." And so all these people were saying the economy is going to get cut in half. And what actually happened was 
you ended up building so much new capacity that industrial capacity was actually soaked up by the consumer. Mm -hmm. People actually wanted all the extra cars that could be produced. And then you had some inflation with it. And so like nominal GDP held in pretty well. Real GDP fell by like, I think 10 to 15%, but it certainly wasn't the 50%. But isn't that the problem now? That now we have, right? This is the point. You've like, you've juiced the economy with low interest rates for such a long time, but Hopefully, somebody out there, some entrepreneurs were doing things that were, like, productive enough. Elon that Musk they was. Actually, Elon, yeah. Like, all kidding aside, love Heart, him or hate him. That's what seriously. he did with free money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Hopefully, there was actually, like, a positive, real net return. But that's return a good point because Tesla could not have done what they did no in way. a 5% world. Yeah. No way. No way. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. And, yeah. like, the, the changes that are getting made in AI, like yeah. general artificial intelligence, you could triple – you could – a thousand X, the the effective workforce of the world within the next five years. I like what you're you're saying. And I hope that ends up being the balance to this idea of, of cash flow repricing is that, wait a minute, holy shit. Look at what we've actually done with technology that we don't yeah. even see yet, but is starting to Pl- plug for Helion Energy, the fusion <laughs> power company. That We're going to do that at the end of the show. Yeah. I want, but I want, but I want, that, seriously, um, I mean, like, go ahead, go ahead. there's always that chart that comes out about the companies that were born during yes. recessionary yes. times or the companies yes. that, yes. I mean, you know, 2008, whether they were born or kind of popularized. Uber, Airbnb. Exactly. Yeah. General Motors, depression stock. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Burger King also. Uh, I almost wrote a book about this, actually. What? It was going to call it Out of the Ashes. All these companies that started during a recession. Why didn't you? Because, uh, you know, life. <laughs> you're, uh, only, you're only doing 19 other things yeah. a day. Uh, uh, oh, here's what I want to mention. I, I know it's easy to lose sight of the fact, but the fact of the matter is, like, absent COVID, would would the inflation that we've been promised ever have come? I'd, it may not have. I don't think yeah. so. Well, what no, would they, the co- Right, they wouldn't have needed no, to my throw point this is, much money for at For the us. last decade, there were people saying that rates were too low and there mm-hmm. was too much spending and there was going to be inflation. That never came to fruition. Oh, COVID bailed them out. So COVID turning the economy off and then back on and the supply-demand mm-hmm. imbalance created the inflation with the fiscal stimulus, of course, that we might never have otherwise gotten. Yeah. And World War II did that in 39, too. Like, we never would have gotten the inflation. And there's no alternate universe, yeah. but that's that's reality. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reality. And a lot of the inflationistas were bailed out, and they won't say it. But you would never have labor having the upper hand the way it does, absent a situation where people realized how important they were to their employers. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen without the dislocation that we had. Like, I think that's just a we have to we have to just remember how aberrant you know, the situation was that led us here. We're going to uh, end on a high note. This one, this was really funny to me. Coinbase uh, is flat after earnings, which is kind of weird, but good to see it. Give it five crashing. minutes. You have five minutes to get out. Um, <laughs> Revenue's down 50% year over year. Howard Lindzen tweeted a pitch that someone emailed him. This guy probably wants to kill himself this now. Is, this is rough. Uh, no. Did you see this? Did you guys see this? Yeah. yeah, this is rough. All right. So Howard tweeted me. Oh, here it is. Me slash people getting pitched Twitter as a, I guess as a private stock. By an ARK venture fund on A16Z-backed Titan app today after another rate hike of 75 beeps are not how tech bottoms are formed. Actually, it's distasteful. I am wrong a lot, but not about this. This was rough. I, I like Titan. I like the guys at Titan. This was, this was, a, this was rough so t- So Titan is a platform that lets people invest in private companies – Right. Oh, PayPal's down eleven percent. Holy shit! Yeah, uh, Titan, Titan is is uh, is like an active robo, and they also do they also now do venture stuff. I guess. Okay, fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a bunch of companies in that space. Um, but yeah, how do you hit send on this email? What does the email say? Uh, Hi, Howard. 
so it's all right. Wanted to let you know that we are now able to provide Titan clients the opportunity to invest in the private Twitter deal through the ARC Venture Fund. There's a lot of layers of fees in here. Let's start with that. <laughs> um, but then you're buying Twitter at $54. How, at, how is that a venture? At Elon's comment? price. That's post, 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 Series Z. If you're <laughs> buying. Um, so my joke, though, was that Actually, 54 is cheap because Elon's going to make Tesla buy it for 75. Uh, well, for, what's the opposite of a startup investment in a venture fund? This is so odd. This is, a, this is an insane email to send, though, just in the in the current context of what's going oh, on. Oh, no, it's funny. I went to uh, – I was on. I was playing around on the Y-Trust and I went to look at some of the Twitter financials. It's gone. It's gone. It's not a publicly listed I, stock no, anymore. It, I was like, wait, wait. The data feed gets pulled. Wait, wait. I want to – Instead of, instead of calling them a unicorn, do you call them a dinosaur now? Ooh, I like that. No, what's the dinosaur with the horn on its head? A triceratops? This, triceratops? I feel like that's three horns. Oh, right. Hence yeah. tricera. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there like a horn build? I don't know. Well, no idea. Are you thinking of a duck build platypus? John's John's Googling dinosaurs right now. <laughs> Let us know in the don't, comments. Don't, don't look for an image. We're going to move on very rapidly. <laughs> Uh, do you guys have fun on the show today? Yes, it was we great. did. Yeah, it was, I'm it was speaking awesome, for him. Right? Yes, he did too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So we've reached the halfway point. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wait, <laughs> we, wait, we, wait, we were recording this? Oh my I God. I was the yeah, whole the time. Transcript, um, I'm, I'm looking at a, tr- a tweet from the transcript. PayPal beats on the top and bottom line and raises fiscal 22-year guidance and the stock is still down 12%. Wait, if you're sitting here, who's tweeting from at the transcript? My partner. Your algo? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, can you tell me what Helion Energy is? Uh, yeah, it's a fusion Don't start talking about fusion. I think you guys are going to like it. All right, go. I actually think you guys are going to like it. I uh, definitely am. Fusion power, power source of the sun. What is fusion? Fusion is the power source of the sun and all other stuff. But stars. is that the cells dividing or? It's coming together. Did you see like, it coming together? It's atoms coming together. What is fission? Fission is when it divides. Oh. Fusion is when it comes together. Yeah, fission is atoms. when it comes apart. Exactly. Isn't this he- what created Mr. Fantastic, Captain Fantastic? Yeah, basically. It's like this science fiction thing. Like people have been trying to do it on Earth for 70 years. Nobody's ever been so able to So is James Bond going to be able to stop you before it's too late? Uh, <laughs> no, what are you, all right, so what are you doing with Fusion? Tell us. Yeah, I mean, so there's like five well-funded Fusion companies in the world now. Helion is one of them. Uh, and we're building right now our seventh prototype. We've built six prototypes. We actually do Fusion every day in our sixth prototype. Uh, but the seventh prototype is the one that we expect to demonstrate net electricity for the first time. What do you mean do fusion? It's in a it's in a facility. No, wait, all kidding aside, this is Spider-Man 2. This is what Dr. Octopus was trying to do. Yeah, in like stylized form. Cold but yeah, fusion, no, I my mean, boy. Like, yeah, no, fusion. Yeah, thanks for throwing cool. this up. Um, but Let's yeah, go. I mean, fusion is like what is this that? is the holy grail of energy. This, this, this is the plasma accelerator. This is our this is our device. Lasers? Uh plasma. Which is like the fourth state of matter. This is after you heat something in a gas, it becomes a plasma. Did I did I see right? This thing is forty feet long. Yeah, it's it's about uh, about forty feet long, six feet tall, basically. If you go to the our technology, actually, just scroll down a little bit here. Scroll down to like the third. This sounds expensive. You know, I, it's, it's actually cheap. You know what the fifth? This is the whole matter is to build. Like, did you guys raise a ton of money for this? We raised five hundred million dollars last year from, yeah. the, from the Pentagon. For yeah, no, actually from private investors. So Sam Altman led our round. Uh, Dustin Moskovitz was involved. Mithril, which is a Peter Thiel vehicle, and uh, five hundred million was that pre-seed? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, this is actually our Series E. We've been around since two thousand eight, so we built six prototypes. This is the sixth one. Um, but this, I mean, this is important for people to watch because, like, if we or others, but we can do fusion and make electricity from it, this is like the power source of the future. This is actually like upends hundreds of billions of dollars. So what's the next big milestone? You're you're going to generate electricity? Electricity generation, power, light bulb sort of electricity. It's plug, like, a, plug an iPhone. 
Uh, yeah, Why something not? like that. Do something, something like, like that. I mean, I say, marketing guy. I say light bulb for 12 seconds because 12 seconds is how long Wright Brothers' first flight was. So if we can do that, that's like, that's, that's Wait, the is big this deal. real or is this science fiction? This is like, real. Like how this far, is real, real. Michael, it only costs $500 million <laughs> to power a light bulb. No, but this is, this, you this can't is do science. this when interest rates are 5%. This is one of the things that's this, coming out. This is exactly why I said plug for Helion here. This is like the type of thing that if you're able to create a new you're energy bring down source. Inflation. Because, yeah. Okay. You you don't have inflation anymore because you have- I like somebody who comes in not just with energy. the problems, but also the <laughs> solutions. I like, I like that. Look, I mean, like- Energy fusion is like one element of this. AI is another element of this where you like can, again, if you have hyper-intelligent machines, you just like thousand X the workforce. So we can all go live on beaches. So when are you spacking this? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. You you almost did though last year. You could (laughs) have. You really could have like with your eyes closed. No comment. Okay. Um, You got, you get pitched? Of course, everybody got pitched on SPACs. Okay, uh, everybody got pitched on SPACs. Okay, fine. At any rate, yeah, this is an important, like, societal project for people to be watching, I think. Um, Dude, this is awesome. How do people uh, find out more? Helionenergy.com? Helionenergy.com. Wait, I what's think, the ticker? Uh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, people in the financial community, love it, just are waiting for this to come public. And honestly, look, I mean, it's like, to me, I say it's like we're building a rocket. We have the launch pad. We're assembling the rocket right now. The rocket is scheduled to launch in 2024. Will it make it into space? We've designed something that we think will. But like we gotta watch, and like if it makes it in space, it's historic. Dude, this is this is awesome, Carlton. Are there any nuclear projects that you would like to plug? Are you doing any fusion? Some in development, but too early to comment on. I am doing Asian fusion. Actually, <laughs> actually tonight I'm, uh, I'm going. Well to, no, I am. I'm going to uh, Pig and Cow. You know, Pig and Cow. Oh yeah, I used uh, to live around the uh, corner from there. That it's Phil. Oh, I've, you it's don't not go to Asian Pig and Cow. Fusion. Me and Chris go to Pig and Cow. I'm taking my brother from LA there tonight. And in fact, really good restaurant. If you can stomach it, you should go across the street to Ivan Ramen too. Just like you know, do the block. two for one. Yeah, I can't do it. Look, 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 look at the condition I, I'm in I right now. I love pig and cow. You're spelt. You can do it. Yeah, sure. Wait, Scott, uh, you're not from around here. I'm from Los Angeles. Yeah, he's from the yeah. future. Yeah. Shut the f- up. <laughs> uh, all right, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do favorites, and then uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna get out of here and go back to our experiments. All right, White Lotus. All right, so such a are you a White Lotus person? I haven't watched it yet. I need to. Did I, you watch season one, though? No, and I had COVID Wait, earlier what? this month, and I was like, I want to watch it then, but I was just too out of it. Like, How much earlier from- this month? Way earlier? Because it's Way- November 3rd. Oh, sorry, sorry. Last month. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? Yeah, sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> Beginning of October, I had COVID, and I was like, okay, I'll watch it now, and I was so loopy from yeah, it, yeah. so I couldn't really... Dude, dude, season one. Don't don't skip right to this, but do it. Like really okay. do it. So it's so well written. There's I know you. You would really appreciate perfect. it. There's such a gap between the production, the writing, everything with HBO and everyone else. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the gap is massive. I agree with that. Still. Like still so prestige. Still. I don't know what they do, but they do it much differently than everyone well, else. Well, it's what's it's Bukes. The guy that the guy that runs it is like an artist. That, like, that, that imagine down. imagine Netflix, no offense, Reed, doing White Lotus. No. Well, the, the budget would be half per episode, mm-hmm. and uh, they'd probably use Jason Bateman in every scene, and yeah, it just be wouldn't like, be the same it, thing. It would just be like, it's, it's, uh, they're so good. No no offense. We like Jason Bateman. Uh, White Lotus season two, it's the same hotel chain, but they move it from Hawaii to Italy, and I was just in Italy, and it's it's in Sicily, which is not the same as where I was, but I was watching it with Sprinkles, and we were like elbowing each other, like, doesn't this look like the That's his wife, by the way. That's his wife, not his dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, all right, that's your favorite for this week. I was going to use that, but you took it. Um, Howard Stern fans, 
Howard Stern a little. He's I like his interviewing. I don't Me like too. his comedy. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. You know what no, I mean? No, it's a little I, too I, much bathroom. He's not funny me. anymore. Yeah. Stop. His interviews are amazing. He's the best interviewer in the world. He's not funny Almost. anymore. You don't listen. I do. I listen all the time. Don't say that. What's What's funny? Honestly. What do you mean, what's funny? Sour shoes. Like how many Sour times? is not on the show anymore. You don't listen. Stop. Okay. Uh, he interviewed Bruce, Bruce Springsteen last week? This week? Uh, Monday. Oh, Monday. that would be good. Yeah. It was amazing. Hats to- so he, he, set up, uh, he set up a stool. Bruce has his guitar. And then there's a piano. And he's just going back and forth. He tells a story. And then he plays a little bit. And then he tells a story. And then kind he plays like a little bit. Kind of like the Broadway show. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good point. It's a lot. I saw that Broadway show. Apparently, Howard's seen it like multiple times, and uh, I didn't realize how big of a Bruce Springsteen fan Howard was, so it was really cool to listen to. So highly recommend. Yeah, sounds great. And you can watch it on the XM Sirius app. Um, do you have a favorite for us besides 8,000 issues of Time Magazine? <laughs> Time. Is there anything else we should dig into? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything to bring to this one. You, you got nothing? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess my comment on this is like, you know when you were a kid and you walked in and your parents were watching some show from like the 1930s or 40s, like I Love Lucy on reruns? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that's all they wanted to watch? Yeah. I think I've reached that point. I'm just watching like 90s sitcom sitcoms. Hit, hit me. What do you got? Friends on the TV in the household still, right now. Still holds yeah, up. Still holds out. And Seinfeld, always great. Friends a little problematic, but still still holds up. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's great to like go. They're time capsules now. Yeah. It's yeah. like kind of crazy to watch. Are you a, Ra- like, are you a Rachel uh, guy or a Monica guy? <laughs> no comment. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. What do you got for me, Carlton? All right. So last time I had Broadway Rex, I'll do it again. Uh, last night I saw Almost Famous. It officially opened. I have tickets. Tonight. Don't spoil it. I- Does Penny Lane have her stomach pumped? You don't want me to spoil it. I'm just kidding. I saw the movie. It, it, <laughs> it tracks the movie. Um, it was it was an awesome. It was a joy to watch. Like if you love the movie, you'll love this. Um, I'm, go- get- I'm going in two weeks. I'm so excited. It, it's one of my favorite movies. You'll love was, it. Was Cameron okay. Crowe involved? Yes, and I met him last night. Really? He was in the audience. And oh, did you take a picture with him? Somebody did. Somebody did. I didn't. I was like right there. I'm like, I don't be that. Do be that person. Don't oh, be that person. Do it. I, I talked to him, and he was very nice, but the show is incredible. And then last week, I saw Take Me Out um, okay. with Jesse the Tyler. The Franz Ferdinand musical? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. Did you get that this one? This is, um, oh, God, the play. Oh gosh, I'm playing on the playwright name. But anyway, it's about a baseball player who comes out of the closet and what okay. happens from the aftermath of that. Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family and Jesse Williams from Grey's Anatomy. Is it a play or a musical? It's a play. Okay. Um, Which do you like better? I, I've been liking the plays a bit more lately, um, even though I – with some of the musicals, like the newer ones, I just – I don't always walk out singing. And I feel like that – we were talking about Phantom of the Opera earlier. Like when you saw Phantom, you're like – you walked out singing. Oh, yeah. Michael was – Yeah, I was, I was it belting out it out. Yeah. And it's just – you. Do, I believe <laughs> that. I believe that you singing? are, though. You're joking, but I know he no, was. I, I don't sing. Um, Michael's on musical. Only in the shower. But, yeah, I just – like with some of the newer musicals, I just don't walk. I enjoy them, but I yeah. don't have that feeling of like I need to buy the soundtrack. So is Almost Famous done as a play but with musical moments or did they like make it into a musical? Done as a play with musical moments. They okay. keep, Like to the soundtrack? So, yeah, they. I don't think they got the full soundtrack. Okay. They got but they're not like singing the dialogue. No, no. Like okay. they just have songs and then okay. dialogue, song, dialogue. Um, They do a – I say I don't want to do spoilers, but they do a tiny dancer scene. Of course. Um, seeing that sure. done for stage. It's just, I mean, it was such a moment in the movie, seeing how it was done for stage. In the stage. movie, they were, on a, they were on a tour bus at like 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And they were all they were all banged up. Incredible. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And kind of the same, but, you know, just seeing how you interpret that for stage versus. It's like one of the best movies ever, I feel like. It's 
it's so watchable. We're all nodding our head. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so good. And it just makes you, whatever your era of music was. I mean, I'm a child of the 80s. So what I grew up with was probably like more 90s hip hop or like 90s rock or alternative. But it just made me want to Yeah, it's not our get, generation, no, but we know all the songs. It's almost Yeah, famous. and you just want to go into, like, I just wanted to listen to music did when you, I got home. Did you hear the podcast that this guy did? He did Saturday Night Live for season one. Oh, okay. what's his name? Oral History. What's his got name? got all the people. Season two was almost famous. What's his name? Jeff Miller? <sighs> it's something. I feel like it's something Miller. It's like a very, um, uh, it's like a very uh, common name. So it, it escapes me. But James. James Miller. Yeah, James yeah, Miller. that's right. So it's six episodes and they're all in it. He oh, got, wow. dude, he got, yeah. what's her, what's her name? Uh, uh, Kate Hudson. Yeah. Kate Hudson's yeah, in, in it. it. And because Brad Pitt was supposed to be heavily involved in the project and he backed out. Brad Pitt was supposed to be Russell. Yeah. Do you know I, that? that? I mean. He's, he was too old. He too old. No, it wouldn't work. Um, yeah. But there, there's Origins. a lot of. There's James a, Miller Origins. James Miller. There's a lot of stories like that. It's a whole season of Almost Famous. It's like oh, six wow. or seven episodes. You're, yeah, it's great. And they got the, like uh, all of the stars, mm-hmm. uh, Francis McDormand, like they're mm-hmm. all in it. She's. You must listen to this. So the mom, the Francis McDormand character for the stage, I mean, she brought something different, but it was just, it was awesome. I mean, that character was just like spot on for her. She stage. anchors the movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, she's the only one not going along with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's like an important part of it. Philip Seymour was great in that. Everyone's, oh, everyone's my God. Everyone's I know. Great. That part yeah. makes me sad. Check so. that. It's uh, the Origins podcast. I think okay. it's the second season. And, and season three is Lake Placid. The the dialogue. It's it's incredible. Oh, really? No. So, no. <laughs> oh, I am so gullible with you guys. Sometimes I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> We're from New York. Every other thing we say the history is of, the history of large crocodiles. Complete sarcasm. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, you're you're amazing. We loved having you both. And uh, um, did you fly in specifically for this? You can be honest. I had some other meetings. Yeah, some other yeah. stuff. All right, He's we're, doing so, fusion. we're so happy to have you. And uh, you, you're uh, you're very impressive. I would say. Yeah, seriously. Not, I mean, that. like Batnik level. Of, <laughs> no, no, you're extremely impressive. And we we appreciate you coming on. And you'll come back sometime. Yeah. Okay. Love to. How often yeah. are you in New York? I mean, I can be out here, Corey. Right, we'll I see you next week. Stuff. All right, Duncan, anything we got to do before we get out of here? Any? Are there any disclaimers we need to now read? How does that work? Probably. All right, we'll, we'll do that in post. Yeah. All right, guys, you're awesome. Thanks Thank so much you. for coming Thank you. by. Appreciate it. Thanks, Duncan. Compound and Friends, episode 69 is a wrap. We will see you guys next week. Nice. Thank you. It's super fun. Yeah. I didn't know how deep into the fusion thing you were. Oh, yeah, that's my, my main project. That's most of it. Would you have already achieved electricity if you weren't wasting your time with your friends? <laughs> no. Is that-